morning, everybody. <clears throat> really good to be with you. A couple things before we jump into the message. Uh, one is if you are helping this after at noon with moving stuff in, uh, you bring an extra pair of shoes because we're going to have to work this out in the mud. And then uh, a jacket, probably. A rain jacket. So, two things there. Also, you notice Whitney said she had a bunch of announcements, uh, which she did. And we cut a few out because we didn't want to just overload everybody. But I just want you to be prepared. When we move into this new building, that new building is the avenue, the, the you know, t-shirt cannon of Obi Joyful. Um, <clears throat> we have been uh, in the process of, of, of uh, building a building and all this and, and the things related to that. We have to focus on doing that well. Uh, and that's ministry. And when we get in there and we have the freedom of that sort of uh, new space, just expect to engage our community, engage together for Jesus where we are. So just preparing you that that is coming, and I'm excited about it. We're going to get in there. And one of the things we're going to do, that's right, um, one of the things we're going to do is, uh, first, is is connect with the Chamber of Commerce. They're doing an event that really doesn't, it's uh, Ride the Rockies, and it's going to be here for a couple of days. But they need help over there. And so we're going to build a bridge to our community and just help them by bringing 12 of the, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that go to be joyful to help on one afternoon to help them be successful. So uh, think about that. All those signups are right out on the table out there, but we do need to get that done to encourage them so they don't have to worry about those places. Anymore. So I just want to bring that before you. Great opportunity to spend a little time uh, helping out and being part of the community. So I want to make sure I told you that. I don't know if any of you have uh, keep up with game shows at all, but perhaps you have seen uh, Jeopardy James or heard about this guy. So I think like last week or this just a couple days ago, he went over a million dollars uh, on Jeopardy in the, the quickest time ever. And not only that, uh, he's, he's had the highest uh, amounts like by far um, in that process, which I guess, you know, to those of you guys who are math people, that was pretty obvious to you. You must have. Um, to me, not so obvious. But uh, he, this guy is killing it. He's, it's like uh, Moneyball with, the, with that game, with Jeopardy. He's like playing it a different way. And uh, it's just amazing what he is, is able to do. Just uh, t- take a look. Watch a little bit of that. Just see what he is, he is doing. Um, that thing reminded me of a show that I used to watch. I, I, wasn't, uh, I don't watch a lot of game shows now. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of game shows. And none of them that I watched had anything to do with brains. Uh, and, uh, the, the ones that I watched were like the one I just looked at a clip of this week, Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal is based on people really doing things with chance only. It's a whole audience of like 100 people, and they're all dressed up like princesses and monkeys and bananas and stuff like that. So that's all an audience, and the whole goal is to make a ridiculous choice between one thing that they're not sure about and another thing they're definitely not sure about. Like, there's just a little bit of information about one and none about the other. So I watched this clip just to remind myself of Let's Make a Deal, and it just took me right back to fifth grade. I felt like I was just sitting there in my beanbag watching the show. And, and I, 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 the, guy, the guy went out, and he picked, up, picked out a guy who was dressed as a watermelon. <laughs> and he came and he walked down to the front of the stage and the guy said, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity and this is the, this is the choice he was going to make. He was going to make a choice between uh, eight ounces of $10 bills 
or what's behind door number one. That's my kind of game show, okay? Uh, it's not like Jeopardy where you have to know something. You're just guessing. So fortunately for him, he picked the, uh, he picked the money. It's just so you know, eight ounces of $10 bills is about $2,000. So he got that, and there was some kind of dud thing behind the door, so he was a happy watermelon. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. When I watched it, it showed it had this big pan out of all the people in the audience all dressed up. And it felt exactly like the starting area for the Al Johnson. So if you've ever been to the Al Johnson or if you've been like at the, uh, not, not Bridges, but the uh, Alley Loop, it's just a bunch of costumes. I was like, let's make a deal as a perfect Crested Butte primer. Just watch that and you know the first step in the culture is to get a, get a costume. Uh, so here's the reason that I bring that. A lot of us have, uh, and myself included, don't have the biblical knowledge that we need to understand who God really is. We have a little bit. We have enough that we've got a little box that we've put him in with some information about him maybe on the outside. You know, we've contained him into something we can understand. And we stop when we get to that point where we feel good enough about that information that we have there. And then, like the watermelon in the game, we are not sure exactly what we're going to get when we see God. But we're listening to everybody cheer for us to choose. Like we have uh, people in our, in our community, maybe there are other believers, encouraging us, follow God, follow Jesus, know Him. And we're like, yes, okay, I'm going to do that. And we're, we're drawn that way ourselves. If you're in this room, you're probably drawn towards knowing God and knowing who it is. But somehow we stop at this sort of um, limited understanding of Him where He is this thing, but He's not what He really is, really understanding that's the goal of the series, is to do this thing. And I just, um, I love this art that, that Tyler put together. He is the only one, the only one, the only God. And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, we're going to talk about his name and what that name means to us. Because I feel like if we're going to talk about who God is and what, he, what his characteristics are, exploring his character, then we need to start probably with his name. So that's where we're going to go. And then what does that name mean to us? We need to go deeper. Let me read to you this, uh, this passage from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is for the people of Obi-Joyful. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, God says. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. There are few pursuits that are more important for us as followers of God than knowing who he is. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going to look at this topic as we move into the new building, a great a intense focus on knowing who our God is. And then from that, what is he doing through us and in us in this community, through that, that place that we're going to be in? So, uh, here is uh, the main thing. 
When we come out of here, I want you to have some information about what his name is. And then I want to encourage all of us to think hard and pray with him, talk to him about what it is that knowing his name, knowing what it means, that what that impact is on us. How does that change us? Let me read you the passage that's our focus. And Andy read it to us too. Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> this is, a pa- this is uh, words from God to Moses. And they're words that were passed down to the Hebrew people. And it includes the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other great and really cool information about how to relate to God all through this uh, part of Deuteronomy. So, this is part of it. 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay? How many of you have heard that before? Most of us have heard that. Three points. One name, one God, and one love. One name, one God, and one love. So let's talk about his name. So right at the beginning of that passage, it says, if, you'll, if you could leave that up, the passage just for a minute from 6-4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So just this part right here, this first part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you'll just leave that up as we go first up. Before we get to his name, what I want to do is look at the very first word, here. It's hard to express the importance of just that one word. The Hebrew people memorized everything that was in this section of the scripture. They knew this inside and out. That word, here, we're going to actually talk a lot about the Hebrew, uh, because the Hebrew is so interesting in this. The original language that this is translated out of. Okay? So, when they saw that word here, they saw the word Shema. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean anything to us, except when we understand the more full meaning of here, when we know the word Shema is behind it, because it means much more than just to know that something was said. Shema means to hear it and internalize it and write it on your heart. Okay? I mean, I can hear a lot of things. Claire can say, hey, can you take out the trash? And I can, like, know she said it. Right? That doesn't mean anything about what's going to happen. I don't, no, no, I would take it out instantly if she said that. Um, so, <clears throat> here is not just to listen or know about something like we do our understanding of God sometimes, but here is to take in the information and write it in the deepest part of who we are. And it goes on to say, I want you to talk about this with your children every day. When you walk down the street, talk about it with your friends. When you're at work, talk about it. Write it on your forehead. That's what it says. Okay? It's like, this is the information you need. And most of you have read in the New Testament where Jesus is talking, and he says something like, um, for he, or they who have ears to hear, let them hear. Right? You've heard that? He is picking up on the Hebrew tradition of Shema. Okay, so, It's very important that we take the information that's in this and write it on our hearts. This is the stuff, okay? This is the foundational stuff. Hear, O Israel. So he's speaking to, now that's translated into us as the church today. 
Now we get to his name. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. Just this little section right here. In fact, we're going to stop where it says the Lord. Now when you see that word here, um, it looks different actually than it does in the translation that we use. We use a translation called the ESV. In the ESV, if you have it on your hand, on your in your Bible right there and your, your phone or something. This word is going to be L-O-R-D and it's going to be all capitals and they're going to be just a little smaller than the rest because it's not just Lord. This means Lord-like. Um, God. This means Lord-like the name of God. Okay? So there's a difference there. So what I want to do, if you'll pull up that next slide, it says it has uh, several names in a row. Yep. Okay. That word Lord, that's capital, would be capitalized, if you look it up in the ESV or the NAS or NIV, it'll be capitalized lower ca- and, and, uh, and then a little bit smaller, is this word right here, Yahweh. Okay, and a lot of you have heard that word. And that, that's good if we know of that word. But in the original Hebrew, it was the top word. It was just four letters. Y-H-W-H. Now, Yahweh is literally the name that God gave to Moses as his own name. He said, my name is this right here. The Hebrew people late, much later added the, vowel, the vowels A and E into that. So in the original the word Yahweh was never ever spoken. Never. And so a Hebrew person even today would say they don't say that word. And so therefore there's no understanding of how this that Y-H-W-H was actually pronounced because they wouldn't say it. So when they came to that word, when it said, know, O Israel, the Lord your God, when they saw the word Lord, they'd they'd say the word Adonai because they wouldn't say his name. They would just translate it right there, look at the words, and avoid saying it because it's the holy name of God. Y-H-W-H. So they would say Adonai. And what's interesting, and I didn't know this, is that the ESV, the NAS, and the NIV, three major translations of the Bible that many of you have, probably have in your hands right now, none of those Bibles have the word Yahweh in them. I was, I was blown away. I was like, wait a second. Surely it's in there. No. Some translations do have that word in there, but in all three of those major and more you know, scholarly, more accurate translations, they will have the word Lord. Okay? So if we weren't talking about it today, right now, like this, you wouldn't know that the word Yahweh was behind the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Right? So those translators are honoring the history of the Jewish people by not saying or writing the word Yahweh. So... The word originates from God's interaction with Moses at the, when that bush is burning at the beginning of Moses' ministry. 
This is from Exodus 3, 13. Check this out. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, they're uh, in captivity by the the, uh, Egyptians, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? What am I going to say to them? And God said to Moses, you've heard this before, I am who I am. God said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-N-D, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It's important that we know, can you back up one? We know that the Lord, Yahweh, is the name, back up a little higher, that the Lord is Yahweh, the name of God. It matters. And what's, uh, what, he says, my name is I Am right? And what God does, it's so interesting, in the Hebrew, again, so we just wouldn't see it if we weren't studying it, uh, the word I am means to be. Now, this is fascinating. God is identifying himself as to be, the one who is. Y'all, we just take that for granted. It's amazing that God is, is, and it, this is the verb, to be, forever. God is forever, past, present, and future. I am. So when he says that, we read it in an easy translation, and it's still a little bit confusing, and says, I am. But what it means is, I am. <laughs> it is, is me. What is, is me. So what he does is he says, he says, um, tell him I am is sent you. And there's certain letters in that, Hebrew letters. And if you just mix those letters around, guess what those letters come out to be? Y-H-W-H. And so later in the passage when he says, tell him I'm the Lord who sent you, He changes it from I am to Yahweh, right there. That's the introduction of God's name to Moses that we are looking at today. And he says, write it on your hearts, never forget it, pass it down from generation to generation to generation. And that's what we're doing right now, okay? So, we are to hear and internalize here something important, and that is God's name. His name is Yahweh. But Yahweh is not written in any of the Bibles you're probably going to look at. The Lord. So look for that capital L-O-R-D. And you'll know that's where it's saying God's name in the original. So one name and then one God. Here is a totally fascinating thing. Because he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. We need to have some understanding of what he meant when he said, I am one. Not only is my name Yahweh, 
but my I am one. What did that mean to them? If I asked you right now, someone to stand up and say, what does it mean that God is one? You might fumble around for just a second, right? It is a complex thing that he is saying. And we need to get, we just need to spend a few moments thinking about it and what that means to us. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord as is one. Okay, so I want to share, share with you just a couple of thoughts about what it is that he is one. One of them is this. Yahweh is the full definition of monotheism. Okay, put on your like thinking seatbelts for just a second. He, Yahweh is the definition of monotheism. Yahweh is God and there is no other way to understand that. No under way, other way to understand anything about any other small g God. In Deuteronomy 4.35, just a few couple chapters before, it says, To you, Israel, it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other beside Him. The Lord is God and there is no other beside Him. And I think all of us are sort of nodding, okay, Right? I get it. But there's something, if you, if you just could take this home and wrestle with it a little bit and think about the idea that the definition of monotheism is Yahweh. So author, his name's uh, C.J. Wright, he says, it is vital to see that the, in Old Testament terms, Hebrew terms, it is Yahweh who defines what monotheism means. When he calls himself one, it's not a concept of monotheism that defines how Yahweh should be understood. When we say there's one God, that is not how we understand him. We don't put that label on him. He defines that for us. One Means not only that he defines monotheism, one God, but that syncretism is not an option for us. So let's let's talk about that just for a second. Syncretism means that I collect aspects and attributes of God that I like and I appreciate those, and so that's my God. Now you you'll hear this in the coffee shop if you start a conversation all the time. Well, my God is love and you know this and that and has some uh, other religion type you know pieces in there and stuff like that syncretism or sort of build like Lego of a God together now we all do it because we have this box idea of what and who God is right we've kind of made him safe for ourselves instead of infinite for ourselves and so we all have said, well, I mostly like to focus on the fact that he's love and forgiving. That's, that's pretty much where I like. We have to remember that he upholds justice and he's always righteous and so many other things that we're going to talk about as we go through this series. But we cannot build a Frankenstein of God that we just want to uh, think is great because what we have is Frankenstein. We don't have who God really is and that's why we've got to go to the scripture and see that he says, I am the definition 
of what it is to understand God in any way. Because, you know, we're all seeking for God. We all have this sense of His presence. That's why we come here. We, we love the beauty, and the beauty points us to us and other people. And they're like, I know there's something spiritual happening here. That's why there's so few atheists in Crested Butte. So many people here are looking and believe that they're for and believe that there is something more. The Bible tells us specifically who that more is. So we can't, uh, you know, put something together that we like. We also can't do something that is called pluralism. I love this statement I read from somebody who said, God is not a brand name for a cosmic corporation. Okay, this is a very common thing, and we all want to do it because we want to be accepting and, and give opportunity to all people. Uh, and, and it's this. We say, well, God is sort of the one God. Okay, I believe in the one God. He's sort of behind all of the other gods in the world. Okay? That's, that's a really safe thing to believe because it gives us comfort. But we cannot do that because he says, I am the God, the one God. There is not another God. So if we say there are other gods, other ways to get in, we're all just blind and holding on to a different part of this elephant and saying, oh, that's God. And he feels like this, feels like a tail, or he feels really big and round, and, you know, or he feels like you know, he's all right above me and that's all I can touch. You know, but it's always the same elephant. That's pluralism, and that's not true. Yahweh is God. Here's another thing. It says, when it says that he is one, it means he is unchangeable. We are not in danger of him flipping, going from being good, one of his characteristics, to wicked, or arbitrary, or capricious. He is good. Always, right? So, knowing that he is unchangeable is fantastic because if you're someone who doesn't know a lot about God but has put your faith in him like behind door number one, I hope it's good, well, you're very fortunate because he is good and he's always going to be that way. That's what the scripture tells us. This is Scott Wayne. This is what the scripture tells us. He is one. So one means a lot of different things. Very importantly, and lastly, that he is unchangeable. Now, here's what happens. This is the result, though, in our lives. We have one name, one God, and then the more we know God, the deeper we go with him, the more we understand him, like that first verse I read to you. The good thing to do is to know and understand God. The result is that we will love God. The more we know about him, we will be drawn to love him. Now, this is totally fascinating. I mean, if you just take a few minutes to block everything out this week and think about this just for a few minutes. Let me read our passage again. 6-5. We know that God is one. Yahweh is one. You shall, therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Those are relationship words, right? I mean, okay, 
There is one God, creator of the most infinite, microscopic, beyond microscopic, atomic, beyond atomic, or whatever's after that that we don't know about, and up to the biggest things. And he is personal. I totally take this for granted. I've been a Christian a long time, and I grew up in the church before I was a Christian, right? I was hearing stuff, but it never was written on my heart. And then I trusted Jesus, right? I, became, I went into a, I found a relationship with the one true God through Jesus. And y'all, now I take it for granted that he's personal in the result of knowing the deepest thing that you could ever know, that there is one God, Yahweh, you know who he is, and that he is personal. We can't take that for granted. I mean, think about this. The best relationships you are in are the ones where the love is the deepest. Is that true? Think about it. Um, You mentioned the Avengers. I went to see that the other night. Not going to spoil anything for you. Pretty awesome movie, though. Is that a spoiler? Okay. I don't think so. No. One of the deepest premises of the whole movie is love. The love that these people have for each other. This theme of relationships where the deepest, most powerful, intense things about life are related to or born out of love is a function of the fact that our God is one who created it and interacts with us through love. And so the biggest movie of all time is based on the love that people have for one another. I don't, I don't know. I've been spending time with this. I'm just blown away by the fact that our God is personal. The best thing about any relationship is the deeper the love is between the people who are in that relationship. The deeper it goes, the more we love, the more we sacrifice, the more we care for each other, the more we walk together, the more we are totally just, to, you know, in that that thing that's both feeling and mental and all of the pieces that love is, when we experience that, we know it and we feel it. We're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the only way we can feel that, the only way we understand it is because God has given it to us to be in relationship with Him. And when we know Him, when we know who He is, we fall in love with Him. A couple of things about that. He says, love the Lord with all your heart all your soul and with all your might. And it's important to understand, just briefly, again, it's so amazing how important the Hebrew is in this, to understand what they meant by that. Because we read heart, I read that in English, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, Valentine's, you know, heart, you know, I heart, something, that kind of thing. For them, the seat of emotion was not the heart. This spoke more to the intellect It included emotion. It was the seat of intellect, will, and intention. That's the heart in the Hebrew mind. So when he said, love me with all of your heart, he said, with your intellect, with all of your will. Okay, so that's important for us to understand. It's less about feeling, though it's included, feeling is included, but it's more about concrete understanding and action decision making. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Okay, and then he says, love him, love me with all of your soul. In this, he means, um, for us, soul is like a, I don't know, I, I'll say like this, sort of a, 
disembodied part of us that is within us and like animates us and leaves us when we die and sort of this other part and when the Hebrews heard this word what they understood the word soul to mean was your whole self everything about you your rationality mental capacity your moral choices your feelings desires the deepest roots of your life so everything from the deepest tip of where you're connected to and who you are to the end of the branches of your life everything about your life is your soul to them love the Lord your God love me with all of your heart with all of your soul and then with all of your might and I, it's kind of funny because he says he says love God with all of and all of and all of your might is the last one that's like saying and love God with all of your all right and it literally is and I'm going to read you this as a translation um, love God with all of your very muchness like love him with total commitment your total self everything your soul your heart but do it with everything and he's saying the result of knowing me knowing that I'm Yahweh your God the one God is that you will if you do that if you know me you will love me I mean, he's not saying be a slave suffer under my oppressive authority no when you know me you will experience a love relationship with me that is deeper and greater than that greatest thing you can experience between them and them. So, there is one name, Yahweh. There is one God, and knowing Him leads to loving Him. And let me ask the guys, guys, again, lead us to sing here and close to come on up. Uh, and I'll just say this: uh, Jesus, whom we know about now, whom they didn't know about in Deuteronomy, is the ultimate expression of the love of God for us. Y'all, this Bible that we are looking at, this, it all holds together and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And what it's telling us is that God loved us so much, wanted to be in relationship with us so much, for us to experience what life really can be like is that He sent His Son to bridge the gap between us as we walk through. Lord, I just come to you. I thank you for a chance to look at your name. I pray that as we do, we're going to just be uh, transformed. In fact, that's what I pray for, God. Uh, as my friend Martin said to me this week, um, <clears throat> pray that we would be uh, not just informed, but transformed. And it's in Jesus' name.